Welcome everyone, it's great to see you this morning and uh, I'm super excited to uh, share God's word with you this morning. I'm super excited for next weekend as well. It's uh, combined churches from around Richards Bay, a bunch of friends, uh, we good mates, many of us who lead the different churches in Richards Bay, and so we've decided to do the, the Sunrise Together. Community Church is going to be doing the worship. They've given me the privilege of preaching next uh, Sunday morning down at the beach. So do come along. I think it's going to be epic. We're going to have a great time. The weather is going to be amazing, and so... Uh, Really looking forward to that. And don't forget, in terms of those baptisms, what a perfect day to be baptized on Easter Sunday. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And so uh, if you're still holding out on that, why don't you come and chat to us and uh, looking forward to baptizing some folk next Sunday morning after that 9.30 service. So Heavenly Father, thank you. This morning as we gather around your word, your word is living and active and powerful. Your word sustains us and refreshes us and fills us, and we need you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that, that your word would, would penetrate our hearts. We don't want to just hear this morning. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed. We want your word to produce fruit in our lives. And so I'm praying for your help, not just for myself, but for every single one of us hearing your word. Come and speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not starting a new journey yet. We'll do that in a couple of weeks' time after the Easter weekend. But I want to share something today, and I'm going to carry on on Good Friday. I'll be preaching Friday morning, so if you've never been to a Good Friday service, you're going to get part two, and then hopefully weave part of this into part three on Easter Sunday morning. But I want to talk about something that concerns me deeply. In fact, over the last six weeks, I've been wrestling I've been wrestling because something inside of me is telling me that I'm preaching the gospel wrong. And that's concerning because I've been preaching it for the last 25 years. Not wrong, but incomplete. I'm feeling like, Lord, there's something about the gospel that's being preached that must be incomplete. And the reason is, as I've been traveling recently, spent remember a week in, or 10 days in Zimbabwe a couple of weeks ago, came back from a week in Pakistan a couple of weeks back, and, and in both of those nations, coupled with the work that we do here in, in South Africa and around Africa, there's this growing concern. We sat as a team in, in, uh, in Zimbabwe with a different apostolic team working around Zim, and they were giving report backs about the local churches around Zim, and the overriding conclusion is, Lord, your church is trapped in poverty. But not just poverty on the outside. I mean, Jesus really didn't have a lot of resources. He'd probably be classified as poor. He didn't have a house, no cell phone, no car, nothing. So in terms of resources, Jesus would probably have been classified as poor. Yet on the inside, he was rich. The problem that we're seeing in the church is it's not just poor on the outside, but there's a poverty on the inside. Going to Pakistan, it was highlighted again to such a level. Lord, there's, this, there's a spirit inside. This is, it's almost like a begging spirit, and this is your church. Lord, why is it that, that we who know the, the God of the universe, and there seems to be, let me define it. For me, a, a poverty spirit is a spirit of defeat, of neglect, of helplessness. And yet, Lord, the Bible says the opposite. It says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's actually the very blessing, this thing inside of us, this hungering and the sense of emptiness should be the thing that connects us to the Father and brings us to the riches of the kingdom. And yet, visiting so many churches, ministering in so many places, looking at the state of the church, in fact, God spoke to me before our first, we've been to Pakistan three times now, but before the first trip, God laid this verse on our heart in... Um, 
in Acts uh, 3 verse 6, and Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And yet we landed in Pakistan, the first thing they asked for was money. Money, how much can we spend on this? And he has the bill for this, and he has the payment for this, and we want to show you how poor and persecuted we are because our only hope is to recruit foreign international donation and aid. And I'm like, God, this is not right. When I see that and then compare, let me read you an example. When Paul, the apostle, was writing to the church in Ephesus, and in Ephesians 1, 3 to 8, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That doesn't sound like no poverty right there. That sounds like an abundance. It says, For he chose us in him. That doesn't sound like neglect. That sounds like being handpicked. Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That sounds like a beautiful privileged position, not abandonment. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So why are we so poor? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I mean, when I read this language, it's speaking about the lavishness of God, the riches of God, the, the every blessing. So why then, Lord, is your church carrying an inner poverty, an inner spiritual sense of defeat? Something's not right. And the one conclusion that I have come to over the years is that every problem is a gospel problem. And every solution is a gospel solution. I've been praying, Lord, what is it? What is it about the gospel that's missing, that's incomplete? Can you imagine? We, Kate and I have the privilege. We live in a beautiful home in Mirancia. Someone made this home available to us. And for 20 years, we've lived in this beautiful home. But can you imagine if every day, Sitting on the end of my driveway was Sam, our oldest son, sitting at the end of the driveway begging. As people went off to work, Sam's begging. When they come back, Sam, why are you laughing, Joes? I was going to use you, but maybe. Uh, can you imagine? Imagine our neighbors driving past. It's a beautiful road. I can imagine them looking at the house, looking at my son begging, thinking, well, poor Sam, shame. But then the overriding thought would surely be, what kind of parents does this boy have? Okay, father, sorry. What kind of father? <laughs> Thanks for correcting me there, Catherine. <laughs> but you hear my heart. And yet, going to church after church after church, Lord, where, why is there this sense of almost begging? Like, like that, that lame man when Peter said, silver and gold have I none. He was speaking to someone not in the temple, but they never went in because they were lame and sitting on the outside begging. They should have been leaping, dancing on the inside. And that's why Peter prayed and released the power of God. So I hope you hear something of my wrestle. In Psalm 37, verses 25, it says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And yet, let me tell you, I've just come back from a trip where it feels like the children of God are begging for bread. How can so much of the church feel so poor on the inside when God has given us so much? How can we doubt God's provision when he's given us his son? How can we feel neglected 
Remember what James said to the church? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. I'm sensing there's a disconnect. And as I travel around Pakistan, just praying, saying, Lord, help me to understand this is a gospel problem. There's something about the gospel and the way it's been preached that is missing, that seems to be incomplete. And then it hit me. Maybe not the full solution, but certainly I realized that the gospel does not start with Jesus. And yet I've preached the gospel about Jesus, the one who came and who died and who carried our sin and the one who conquered sin, death and Satan. The gospel, I realize, does not start with Jesus. I realized as well that the gospel does not start with you and me. It's actually not me and my sin or my need for heaven or my need for a savior. The gospel doesn't start with Jesus and the gospel doesn't start with me. Remember that famous scripture that most of you can quote, John 3, 16, where does it start? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We've just read Ephesians 1 verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then I realized even the great commission Remember Matthew 28, when it says, go into all of the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's more than just dunking someone in the swimming pool. To baptize them means to immerse them in the nature, the character, the attributes of who your Father is, and the Son is, and the Holy Spirit. Friends, I realized this, this has been what's growing inside of me. What's been missing in so much of the gospel presentation is it doesn't start with Jesus. It doesn't start with you. It starts with our heavenly father. The gospel starts with a father who loves the world and who loves you and I. And as that dawned on me, I realized that actually the gospel doesn't end with Jesus. Yes, he died, and yes, he rose again. And the gospel doesn't end with you and I. Yes, our sins are forgiven, and we have a ticket to heaven. The gospel ends when Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, remember that famous verse? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to, not to heaven. Heaven's not the end. Heaven's not the final destination. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I began to realize it's almost like there's a loop that needs to be closed. When we get the realization, it all starts with a loving heavenly father who loves us. And only when we get back to the place of now we are connected, not connected just with righteousness, not connected with a ticket to heaven, but connected back to your heavenly father. If that loop is not closed, the result is people who know their sins are forgiven, They know they might be going to heaven, but they haven't been connected with their father. Now, why is that so critical? Because here's the thing. A poverty spirit has got nothing to do with money. It's got nothing to do with finance. It's got nothing to do with how much money is in your bank account. It's got everything to do with your sense of value. Let me say that again. A poverty spirit has got nothing to do. It manifests in money. We poor, we need money. But the real issue is not about money. It's about value. And where does value come from? 
Values imparted from the heart of a good father. And the problem is, people are realizing through the gospel, my sins are forgiven, I get eternal life. But if they're not connected back to the value that their father can give, you're left with a poverty spirit. Does that make sense? I want to try and unpack it over the next couple of sermons, whatever. But this is the big point, the big idea. There was a, there was a lady who came to church a couple of years ago before COVID. And, and I could see and chatted to her after a while. She was a, she was a lesbian and she was practicing her, her sexuality. And, and, and she had lots of questions. So I said, well, let's sit down and talk. Help me understand. And what she began to explain to me was that her father wanted a rugby playing son. And all he got was a daughter. And so he raised her as a rugby playing son. All her life, all she knew was how to be a rugby playing son because that's what my father wanted. He treated her like a boy, raised her like a boy. She never had any sense of what it means, the feminine side, because she was raised as a rugby playing boy because that's what my dad wanted. And now she's grown up and now she, her sexuality is confused, her identity is confused. There's a brokenness inside of her. And I said to her, here's the truth. You've got a bad earthly father and he's led you into this mess. And it's going to take your perfect heavenly father to lead you back out of it. You see, what fathers do, what fathers are meant to do is impart value and security and identity. And that's what we've got to understand. And I know so many of you get it, but I'm preaching more to myself and to those who are ministering out into other areas, especially areas where there haven't been great fathers and great role models. The gospel connects us to the heart of the father. And only when we reconnected to the heart of the father, that's when the reconstruction and development begins. Because it doesn't begin on the outside, it begins on the inside. It begins when we hear those words, not just to Jesus, but to you and I. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Only when we learn to receive that value, that glory, that honor from our Father, will we stop trying to find it and earn it and perform it and achieve it, because it's given as a gift of the gospel. Does that make sense? I hope so. So, listen to what Paul, the great apostle, prayed. I think he knew this. He realized this. And now that I'm looking at it, I begin to see it more and more clearly in his gospel presentation. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, this is what he prayed. In fact, if you don't mind closing your eyes just for a few seconds, I want to read this prayer and pray it over you. This is what Paul prayed. He said, for this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew. I want you to know 
the love of your Father. I want you to be so connected to your Father that His sense of security, identity, and value fills that tank on the inside. Because when we're transformed by the love of the Father on the inside, we change on the outside. And the work of Jesus was exactly that. It was because of the work of the cross, because of what Jesus has done, that He's given us free access to the Father. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, He's given us the right to come boldly before the throne of our God. I'm talking about what does it mean to be baptized in the name of your Father. So let me ask you this question. How valuable are you? Maybe I should ask it this way. How valuable do you feel? If if we just spoke one-on-one and I asked you this question, how valuable do you feel? If you had to give yourself a ranking from 0 to 10, 10 being the most valuable person in the world, zero being less than a silkworm or whatever those things. Honestly, as I've chatted with people, it's normally somewhere between three and four. You see, others tell us our value. We read it from others. The world shouts about our value. As you scroll through your social media, you're measuring your value. Your past experience, even the inner little voice inside of you proclaims your sense of value. The world is looking for performance and ability, wealth, achievement, beauty or strength. But even in the most beautiful and richest and successful people still struggle with a sense of value. As you scroll through social media comparing your boring life with the highlights of everyone else, it's hard not to, yo, what am I missing? And suddenly you feel less than. Or that inner voice that so easily condemns, tells you you're useless, abused, good for nothing. But what does your father say? What does your father, two things, and I've got five points, but if I get through one today, I will call it a victory. But before we look at the first point, there's two comments I have to make. Number one, are you a believer? Now everyone nods their head, of course I'm a believer, that's why I come to church. Well, for goodness sake then, believe what God says. Now I know that sounds silly, but here's the reality All of us believe something, and most believers believe the world more than they believe the Word of God. So if we're going to catch this as a revelation, the value that the Father sees in me, and the value that the Father has imparted to me, then we have to choose who we believe. The world is proclaiming it. Your inner little voice is reiterating it. Social media is declaring it. But what does our Father say? Are you a believer or not? Because if you're a believer... It means you've prioritized what God says above every other voice. Because what God says to you is very different to what the world says. What God says is very different to what you say to yourself. Who do you believe? And secondly, remember that we reflect the genuine revelation that we have. Remember that truth that just changed my life radically a few years ago? We love because He first loved us. We've got to receive God's love to reflect His love. We've got to receive His patience if we're going to reflect patience. We've got to receive His mercy if we're going to be forgiving and merciful to others. In exactly the same way, we need the revelation of the God of value to begin to reflect value. You see, people who see themselves as valuable add value to others. People who see themselves as valuable are valuable, live lives of value. But people who see themselves as valueless don't contribute. There's very little they feel they have to give or to offer. 
God, we need a revelation. We've got to receive it and stop trying to earn it. So let me look at point number one very quickly. How do we know by revelation how valuable we are to the Father? And point number one of five, and I'll just look at that one today, is because he made you so valuably. Now, I'm an engineer. I love great designs, and engineering just tells you so much about the person who designed it. And when you look at our lives and the way he's created us, God has made you and I valuable. Many of you will know the scripture, remember, from Genesis 1, 26 to 27, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. That's what sets us apart. We're not a glorified monkey. We're not. And the problem right there, it sounds so scientific, and I'm not going to debate science with you, but, but we have to understand the implications. Jesus said this. He says, it's by, it's, uh, wisdom is proved right by all your children. You can come up with a great scientific theory that we just evolved monkeys. But if that's true, it sounds so clever. Look at the scientific model. Then no wonder people don't feel valuable. It doesn't just impact us biologically, it impacts you on the inside. My Bible tells me I was made in God's image. He made me, and He made me in His image. So the world is in such confusion and such a depression because scientists told us, no, no, you're just a really evolved monkey. No wonder people are depressed. Anyway, moving on. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Made in his image, made for his purpose. Made for a destiny, made for rulership. God created us valuable. We carry the image of God, which makes you more valuable than all the other creatures. To be an image bearer of God is a glorious, glorious thing. My wrestle sometimes is, um, you know when they tell you nowadays, you're all special. Well, if we're all special, then I'm not very special, am I? And in the same way, it's like, Lord, I get it. We're all made in your image. But personally, and, and many of you have heard me share this testimony a few times, I wrestled for years about this sense of value because, Lord, I honestly think you made a mistake the way you made me. And before you judge me, some of you think the same thing. Some of you have looked at your lives physically, emotionally, and you think, Lord, I think you've made a mistake. And um, some of you have met my good friend, at, uh, Bruce McAlpine. We've traveled oh, for 17, 18 years. We traveled to South America, and we're very similar in our jobs. He planted a church just soon after we planted, and so he's led a church 22 years. We've traveled to South America. We're on the same apostolic team. We're great friends. There's so many similarities, and that's what made me mad because we're so different. You see, he's six foot three, an extrovert, been there, done that, done it better than all of you, and he's got lots of confidence, and I'm like, Lord, that's not fair. You know, it's like everyone wants a photo with Bruce. It's like, hey, Brent, photo time. Can you hold the camera, Brent, and take a photo? I was like, yo, whatever, because uh, if he preaches, he's going to stand on the pulpit, and everyone wants a photo. I'm like, Lord, how come? If we do the same thing, why didn't you make me like that? Why do you make me an introvert? Why do you make me the nervous type? Why do you make me the lack of confidence type? Why don't you make me like that? And some of you have wrestled with similar kind of conversations. You've looked at part of your personality or the way you are. Nowadays people are asking, Lord, why did you make me a boy and not a girl? Or a girl and not a boy? Why did you make me big, small, short? And I remember God speaking to me. 
from Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and 5. I know many of you have heard it, but it's so deep for me. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I remember God challenging me with a a little question that out of the blue just dropped in my heart after I read that. And I thought this must be a God question because it's weird. And the question was, which came first, your DNA or your calling? And and I remember pondering, which did come first? But as I reread that verse, it says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before I made you, I've already appointed you as a prophet to the nation. In other words, God had a plan. He had a calling. He had a task. He had a purpose. And then he created the DNA to perfectly fulfill it. And suddenly I realized, Lord, you didn't make a mistake. You perfectly created me to perfectly fulfill your perfect function. And that set me free. Lord, you don't make mistakes. You wanted an introvert, you wanted someone who struggles with nervousness, or that's it, Lord, you made me the way you wanted to make me. Ephesians 2.10, we studied so often over our purpose journey, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's how valuable you are. He already had a plan, already had a purpose, put the DNA together, already had all of the works laid out. That's how valuable you are to your heavenly Father. Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Just, we've read it many times, you've heard it many times. Think, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Friends, for us, it's like weird. We don't really do the temple thing. Imagine if you were Jewish reading this. You know, Solomon's temple was probably the most expensive building ever built. They estimated it probably would cost about $4 billion US dollars to build that temple. That was the temple, and God said, enough. The new temple is much more glorious. It's you. You are replacing the $4 billion temple. You, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I want to declare to you today, you are valuable because your Father has made you valuable. The world is going to lie to you, Your past is going to try and drag you down. Social media is going to try and compare you. But your father says, I can prove to you that you're valuable. And the first way I'm going to show you is because I made you valuable. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment. In fact, why don't you stand with me and just, let's take a moment. Holy Spirit, would you come and write your word into our heart right now? Father, we're coming against this poverty type, inner poverty sense of uh, victim, sense of defeat. And Father, we want to see that stronghold smashed in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are connected to you. And my prayer, Lord God, is as we study this truth together, that you'll help us to close that loop. Jesus, you came because of the love of the Father, and you died and rose again so that we could be connected to your Father. Father, I pray even now 
that your words, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. Father, that you would help us break out of this worldly system of trying to earn value, trying to perform for value, trying to achieve for value and help us to receive it from you. Jesus, you received glory and honor from the Father. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.